Hi everyone, welcome to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we interview Asian entrepreneurs and professionals around the world. And for this season, we're going to take our conversations deeper about our Asian identity and hustle stories. We also want to announce that we are hosting our first ever Asian Hustle Network Uplifted Conference next spring in Las Vegas. For more info and to reserve your seats, check out our website at asianhustlenetwork.com. Don't forget to grab a copy of our recently released book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, which tells the personal stories of how 21 Asian American entrepreneurs are shifting culture. You can order it on our website as well. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Michael Yamashita. After graduating from Wesleyan University with a degree in Asian studies, photographer Michael spent seven years in Asia, which became his photographic area of specialty. Upon returning to the U.S., Michael began shooting for the National Geographic, as well as other American and international magazines and clients. Combining his dual passions of photography and travel has culminated in a career spanning over 35 years, an Instagram following of more than 1.8 million, and most recently entered him into the world of NFTs. Michael's most recent exhibitions currently traveling the world are focused on the theme of the Silk Road journey, following both the overland and maritime Silk Road routes. In addition to Michael's focus on Asia, his work has taken him to six continents. Michael has also published 13 books, mostly inspired by his 30 National Geographic stories. While not traveling, Michael lives with his family in rural New Jersey, where he maintains a studio and is an active volunteer fireman. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm going to have to correct a few things. (laughs) My name is Yamashita. That's the best uh, pronunciation. The I silent. Yamashita. Okay. Yamashita. And I have, uh, I'm working on 40 years of, uh, for the oh. geographic and I have uh, 15 books, two or which are sitting idle somewhere in China because I left a lot on the table when I, uh, when the, the COVID uh, shutdown happened. And so actually I was on my way there in February of 2020. And then suddenly, of course, uh, my flight got canceled. China closed its borders and I haven't traveled since. So anyway, so uh, yeah. So anyway, where do I start? Oh, man, we we want you to start from the very beginning. You know, like what was your upbringing like and how did you develop such a passion for traveling photography? Because obviously it shows throughout your entire work. You know, we're watching some of your clips and videos earlier. And your your knowledge is so extensive, not in the technology that you use to photograph the images, but also the rich history of the location and city of the people. Right. You know, so where does passion come from? What was your upbringing like? Okay, well, that's what happens if you've been doing it for forty years uh, and concentrating on my area of interest and expertise, which is uh, the Far East. So obviously, I've spent a lot of time. Well, I used to have a life of 
six months a year on the road. And, uh, you know, I've now been home for a year and a half. So I'm in uncharted territory actually here and uh, learning how to uh, live, uh, live in, in one place. And uh, actually it's been good for myself and the family and other things, but let's start at the beginning where uh, I grew up in, in uh, Montclair, New Jersey. And my father was a, Japanese uh, salary man for uh, Mitsubishi and uh, had a regular upbringing, except very few Asians uh, living in Montclair in those days. And when I, when we were called out for a group photo for, you know, the, the school, the, my brother and I were usually, usually Trump trod, tr- you know, put out there with maybe the one black guy and it, you know, a very uh, odd situation in that we were real minorities. So, but uh, after Wesleyan, where I studied Asian history, uh, I got my, uh, I went to Japan. I got out of the, I won't go into the detail, but I somehow escaped Vietnam and my graduation present was a one-way ticket to Japan where I bought a camera. And just like uh, most amateurs, you, you send, you shoot pictures of what you're experiencing, seeing and send them back to your friends and family just to kind of show them what life is like. And I got really hooked into the camera and uh, just kept going to the next level after the next level. And after living in, in uh, Japan for four years, I became or I decided I would try to be a photographer. What a great lifestyle. What a scam it would be if I could travel the world and take pictures. And I did have my eye on the geographic. And uh, anyway, I honed my skills in uh, Asia for another couple of years, shooting in, mainly in Singapore. Uh, I got a, a major uh, client at the time was Singapore Airlines, and I got that account, and they sent me everywhere in Asia uh, to shoot pictures for their advertising catalogs. And oh, wow! Anyway, after that, I had a portfolio worth looking at, and I went to do National Geographic. And this is in the late seventies, and I was shooting starting in. Uh, 1979-1980 was my wow. first. And of course, the first assignment I had was in Hokkaido, Japan. So it took me back to my roots. And I was a cocky guy, walked in there and said, I can do a better job than any of you guys. Because I right. <laughs> Japanese and I speak the language and blah, blah, blah. And anyway, after one success, I never looked back. Wow. That's, that's, that's amazing. I know that's, that's a definitely a life worth living. In my opinion, a lot of us kind of aspire, aspire to be like that. We also want to be like photographers and you want to travel. And the fact that I feel like what you've done is basically trailblazing the blade, the trail for a lot of us, you know, like that. I'm pretty sure at that time, your, your parents had different plans for you, for your career, right? They wanted you to have a stable job and everything. What was that process like telling them that, Hey, I'm going to move back to Japan and then I'm going to, you know, start photography, taking pictures around Asia. Like what was their initial reaction regarding that? And what was the industry like at that point? You know, like take us back to like 1979 or in the 1970s. What was the industry like for like 
Asian Americans to sort of break into that field. That's something okay. that we want to hear more about too. Yeah. Well, first of all, my father uh, was actually very supportive, of course, very supportive about sending me to Japan. And uh, I was able to get a visa, learned uh, long-term visa through uh, family friends in Gifu, where my family is from. And uh, so that was helpful. And then, yes, he was, he was kind of at the end of his career with uh, Mitsubishi and he was about to kind of uh, get laid off and retirement and all that stuff. And so he very much was uh, supportive of me going into something uh, that was maybe that one day, what time he dreamed about. In fact, when I was in high school, he was the guy with the Nikon camera shooting pictures of me while I played sports. And he was a very avid amateur and he would always say mike you know i hope one day to see your big picture up in times square there was a big board over there on i forgot a big display for kodak and so he used to pass that every day while he was working in city and so he that was his dream for for me was that i would have a photograph there and actually i did but anyway so that was uh, the start. And uh, of course, I met a lot of good photographers uh, in, in Asia and uh, actually coming from the United States was an advantage because people wanted to hire me because they said, oh, we got this guy who's from New York, which I you know, would, would tell them, of course, yeah, I, I've come from New York and, you know, I had no experience, but you tell them whatever you need to. And uh, yeah, so and I got plenty of work. So when I came back, uh, then I started taking my portfolio around. And yes, I was a very uh, I didn't I didn't know any other uh, Asian photographers. Well, maybe one or two, but we were a very small minority and um, especially getting into the geographic. So uh, I I was mentioning to you before my probably my my uh, most proudest uh, achievement and without even having thought anything about it is uh, I it was pointing out pointing out at the annual um, geographic seminar which is for the photographers in January each year uh, where we all get together and spend a week uh, meeting with the editors and having parties and giving slideshows and all of that. And uh, the editor, Susan Goldberg, uh, was in one of the sessions was saying that we have this year 40, this was 2019, the last seminar. And she said, you know, we have uh, 40% of photographers or people of color, writers or photographers and women now working for the magazine. Yeah, so she shows this chart and and 2000 difference between 2019 and 2000, 2018 and 2008 is there was only one photographer of color or one uh, contributor of color and writer or photography, writing or photography, and that was me. And uh, it turns out going back further that uh, I was the first full time, not full time. I never was a staffer. I was the full first uh, regular contributor 
uh, photographer of color for the uh, the first and only for many, many years at the Geographic from when I entered in 80, 1980, uh, pretty much right up uh, in, you know, well, now, of course, there are quite a few uh, and many of my friends, uh, Asian friends now working for the magazine. But yeah, I'm very proud to say that I, I indeed was a pioneer and it was nice to be recognized at that as that. And uh, yeah, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it, but uh, there was myself and one uh, Asian picture editor, Elizabeth Chang Christ, who she and I collaborated on quite a few stories. And we used to always go, oh, yeah, the old the whole the Asia team, you know, because, yeah, it was a, a rarity. And that's, the that's, other thing is that most of my stories were in Asia. So it was a good combination. That is awesome to hear, you know, and it's good to hear what the, what the perspective was like back then and, you know, see how far that we, we gone. Although there's still a long way to go before we get more people into the industry. I want to start by saying, like, you know, thank you, Mike, for all the work you've done. Uh, as I mentioned before the podcast that, you know, a lot of your work has impacted my childhood. You know, I, my parents, for some whatever whatever reason, subscribed to National Geographic, even though they did not speak a lick of English. <laughs> and I end up reading National Geographic history a lot. You know, so you really have profound effect on my upbringing and my childhood. So I'd like to thank you for that. Um, the other question I had is like, you know, as you're traveling, right? And you're seeing like all, like, especially with your work with China and Marco Polo and like the Silk Road and everything. Have you extensively looked into the history of these places before you started taking pictures of the place? Or was it vice versa that you started coming there first, feeling the experience, feeling the history and taking pictures and finding out the history? I'm kind of curious, like what was the thought process like behind your creative work? Because, you know, whenever, whenever I look at your portfolio, whenever I look at your Instagram, it's really clear to me that you really understand what you're looking for in a particular city, right? For example, I think your team sent me over a video of you photography, taking photography pictures of, of the New York skyline. Right. And with that, it's like, I kind of noticed that as you're describing certain things, you're like, oh, I want to capture the, the ripples, the shadows, the Times Square situation, the history, the hustle bristle. Like, it, it's, it's very clear to me that you understand the culture of the city as well before you take the picture. So I want to understand what the thought process as you're going through these historical places, what was the, what was the chicken or the egg? Did you take pictures first or did you learn about history first or did you walk through it there, stay there for a couple of weeks and then be like, okay, this is what I want to capture in the, in the National Geographic picture or my own personal photography. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, there's a lot of research that happens and my most Successful stories uh, have been the ones that I have proposed, which means even more research because in, in the proposal process, you you got to know your subject. And uh, when you are making a proposal, those those uh, that you would have to kind of show in words uh, what we call a one pager the photographic possibilities because geographic being a photo magazine, they want to know, okay, well, what's the story going to look like? And uh, so a lot of research goes in at that stage. Um, also, I, you know, you become the expert because you work there all the time. And I've, I've done most of the China stories over the years for the, for the yellow magazine. And, you know, I kind of knew what, 
would be the next story because I, well, in, in my case, I ended up very methodically going through all the kind of the icons of China from Silk Road and of course, Marco Polo and, and the uh, Sea Silk Road with Zheng Ha and various Great Wall, uh, Grand Canal. I did them all, in fact, to the point where now I'm, I'm not even, uh, I always ask my friends, hey, is there any other story that I may have missed? Uh, because it's been my, uh, I, I like uh, doing cultural stories and, and shooting places and things that are fast disappearing. Uh, if I have any legacy, it's the fact that I have a large archive of uh, photography that can't be duplicated because of much of which I, what I photographed no longer exists. So that has been a big uh, part of my process. So, you know, I'm always looking for some kind of a new story, and usually it's uh, very remote. Uh, I'm, I haven't done many city stories, uh, though, of course, New York is is across the river. It's about an hour, a little more than an hour from where I'm living here now in New Jersey. And, of course, my base. And uh, if somebody says, please go shoot New York uh, from, from the air in a helicopter, which is what I would I was doing uh, last month, which is, is what I sent you. And the, the Sony is is a big sponsor of mine, and that's what that was for. But yeah, it's a, it's a combination of, uh, and then of course when you get on the ground, there's other stuff that happens. And my uh, fixers, my uh, the, the guys who or the women who put the subject in front of me, I, I say, are the unheralded, uh, the unsung heroes of journalism, because these people uh, are, you depend on them to uh, not only find you the subjects that you have already kind of researched and are on your shoot list. Uh, it, it, that's the point is I'm not wandering, looking for something to shoot. I am there in the place that we are going to, because I know there's a picture that exists there. And so we're going to go make a picture of something. And so that, you know, I'm working in Tibetan plateau where I have been along for quite a while now, we map it out knowing exactly, okay, well, there's this great monastery here. They have, you know, it's at the top of a mountain, which normally they are, which means you got to climb to get there. And there's, a lot of logistical stuff, but, uh, you know, I'm looking for something that uh, is either in my mind's eye because it's important for the story or there is something I've read about or, or heard about that uh, I know is going to make a picture. And that's why I'm there. I love that. I, I love that you you think it through before you actually go to the location and learn about and research about the history of each and every single landmark and location and just becoming an expert in learning about the history and stories of these landmarks in your photographs. I do want to know, you know, how have you seen your style change over the years, you know, from when you were uh, shooting in Asia? Did you have one specific subject or thing that you just loved shooting? Um, and how has that changed over the years? 
Well, it's, you know, making a living as a professional is often it's not your choice. You're, you're looking for uh, subjects that somebody is interested in, in, in seeing to publish a photograph or if it's a commercial client, they're, are reasons why they they need a picture of that so it's not it's not like i uh yeah i have time to uh, uh well I, you know of course i do personal work as well but most of it is uh especially in the early years was you know i'd uh, jump at whatever the the job was even if i didn't know the place or didn't even know how to shoot the picture i'd say yes and then figure it all out later so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it works in, in many ways, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, and you gotta be quick on your feet. You know, that's journalism is, is actually, uh, uh, something that, uh, I don't think you even need to study. It's, it's quite uh, logical what, uh, you know, what, what is necessary for a story, I think. And, um, anyway, I do create, usually a, a shoot list and, and we work from that. And uh, even though, in, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate to work for the geographic who gives used to, uh, I have to qualify because it's not the same now, but in its heyday, uh, they would give you a lot of time and resources to do definitive work. And so Marco Polo, I spent like three years on. So, oh, wow. You know, that sounds like a lot of time, but when you go through a dozen countries, uh, it translates not quite so, you know, luxurious in terms of, of days. So, you know, you, you are moving fast. It's not like you're waiting for the perfect sunset in every place or, you know, you don't have time for that. You're, you're uh, making decisions to how you're going to spend that time, you know, and, and so it's, it actually comes, the time becomes quite tight. Mm, yeah, that, that, yeah. That actually does make a lot of sense. Um, so thank you for sharing that, by the way. I mean, three years in Marco Polo to us sounds like it's quite a bit of time, but actually when you're traveling that much, it's like, it's not that much time at all. <laughs> you're like, wait a minute, where'd all the time go? Um, so the next question I have is, I really noticed that you're a pretty avid user in social media. And I find, I really like the mentality too, how you are adopting newer social media platforms like Clubhouse to really get your, your work out there and your info out there. Um, has, that, has that something, has that always been something that you've been like integrating into your work as well? Like leveraging social media to really get your work out there? And how, that, how did that whole process start for you? Because I know like there's a lot of, famous photographers out there that sometimes refuse to use social media to like get the work out there. You know, I don't think you can anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I I think uh, especially now with the demise of print and the lack of uh, outlets to show, to uh, have your work displayed, uh, you've got social media. And so there's, it's been the best time for, photographers to to uh strut their stuff because you've got instagram and you got facebook and they all are uh, picture oriented so um you know you can't ignore it anymore and, and it becomes part of your portfolio so 
I think it was back in 2013, the geographic was just getting into Instagram and nobody knew what that was. And so they said to the photographers, could you please start posting? And so we did. And now they have 170 million followers and, you know, in its heyday, uh, the National Geographic had 11 million subscriptions uh, and maybe a base of 40 million readers. And uh, I can tell you right now, my Instagram is bigger than the circulation in, uh, of the magazine in print. Maybe it's about one point, I don't know, 1.5 million worldwide. The magazine itself, the actual physical paper magazine is quite diminished from those days. And uh, you can't ignore these new uh, any ways to to uh, display your your photography, and, and which is why I kind of got into the NFT space as well. Yeah, so. let's talk about that. You know, NFT is well, so so new. Uh, <laughs> a lot of us are quite. I don't want to say we're scared, but we don't know enough about it. And just seeing like the wild prices that come up, like artists selling yeah. selling out their stuff for a million dollars in like sixty seconds, right? How did you get into NFT and what, what about NFT that excites you about getting your work into NFTs? Okay. Well, uh, you know, uh, any kind of new visual medium you can't ignore. And so I tell this to my, uh, all my friends and colleagues where we discuss it because, uh, well, the other thing I have to say is my full disclosures. I have family, my, my two nephews, one in, Paris and one in uh, in Hong Kong uh, are in the biz. I mean, one's a minor in Paris and the other is uh, my uh, nephew, uh, Alex in Hong Kong is in the marketing side. And so they are, you know, but Bitcoin is, is what they're dealing with and, and mining means uh, blockchain and all of that stuff. So uh, I knew something about it. And, and also my daughter is a big uh, uh, cat lover. So she was in uh, crypto cats, uh, crypto, crypto kitties before I knew what an NFT was. So, uh, but, I, and the other thing is uh, there is a team of people behind me for that. And if you ask me to explain in detail, uh, what two of them, two these two guys who are Harvard MBAs are are, are doing in uh, for me uh, in uh, taking care of most of the technical. I can't. Uh, they they allow me to concentrate on the uh, creative, which is what I want to do. And and as far as minting and uh, doing auctions and all of that other stuff is uh, I would be very challenged. And so, and I also have a uh, NFT artist who knows the tools. And so she's been very helpful in, in showing me what's new with uh, AI and uh, what can be done for adding movement to uh, stills and uh, I've never been uh, interested in video. I, my art has always been the still photograph, and now I'm moving into a different uh, kind of with, with the NFTs. Uh, one of the things you will notice immediately with if you see a lot of them is usually there's some movement and and sound, and so 
like video, sound and motion, which, as I say, I've never really found uh, any not well, because I've actually I've done a couple of documentaries and I've been a presenter and I, I know many good videographers who uh, I would not attempt to to compete with. So, uh, you know, I never got into it. And uh, now I'm working with sound and motion with NFTs and it's, uh, it's been uh, eye opening. Oh, the other wow. thing is a very different group of people than my one point, almost 1.9 million now uh, followers and who are traditional, you know, photography uh, enthusiasts. Um, they are different from the NFT crowd who uh is yeah comes from a very different um, uh, mindset and and are used to looking at different art than well that now of course photographers entered the space too and I, I intend to also point uh use or or um show a lot of uh, still photography so anyway it's oh, wow. it's all a work in progress that's mm -hmm. just brand new so i if you ask me what the future is like, I'm not <laughs> like sure, but yeah. uh, I am. Uh, I don't think any of my other. Well, there's a, maybe one or two colleagues uh, from Geographic who are mm -hmm. are working on them, but it's it's rare right now. But yeah. we all talk about it because there <laughs> was people who made. 69 million or whatever and so photographer that gets photographers talking so yeah anyway. I, I want to say first off uh shout out to your team for supporting you and getting you from yeah. nfts you, you know and seeing a transition from a legend like yourself into nft is it's it's very awesome to see that you're so open-minded to do something like that you know i mean transitioning from traditional photography to instagram social media is really scary enough but now you're practically an early adopter in this whole new world called NFTs where, you know, when you come into that world, you see a bunch of colorful pictures some weird images. You're like, how does this relate back to like the stuff in history that I like to do, you know, and the fact that you kept a very open mind. And I like the fact that you were very proactive in getting to the NFT community as well. Like I do see, and for reference for you guys listening, I got introduced to uh, Mike from a NFT consulting person, whatever, <laughs> you know, that's how we connected. Um, so I really appreciate that open-mindedness to really get into this new world. Cause even for myself, even for Maggie too, like we still find a lot of fear of us getting in there because we just don't know. Right. But a part of success is, is being able to identify new trends and getting there early enough in order to be the big whale and be, and make the big weight. Right. And that's what you demonstrate over and over is that your entire career, you're always positioning yourself to make sure that you succeed, right? Um, you demonstrate with that with moving to Japan, finding uh, part-time gigs, getting yourself on Instagram, getting yourself to one point, almost 1.9 million followers on Instagram in like the heyday and having more distribution currently right now than National Geographic. That's awesome. And now you're getting to NFT, which I'm pretty sure in the next three to four years, you're going to see a mainstream influx of nfts where it's basically normalized if not already normalized already you know you're seeing nft artwork in times Square. you're seeing that in bigger cities and you're getting into it quickly so the next question i know i know you mentioned earlier like don't ask me about the future nft blah blah, blah. <laughs> but i'm kind of curious too like how have you been adapting your style and your work and conveying that vision to your team and getting your work into the NFT stuff, how have you been conveying that, that stylistic 
point of view to your team and really get that part moving? Well, that's, uh, uh, I struggled with that too in the beginning because I, I said, well, you know, how do I transfer, trans, transition from still photographies and, 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 uh, this traditional photojournalism, which it means photographs that are not manipulated. Uh, they are, uh, you know, I'm used to putting, I'm a storyteller and those photographs, my, my style, if you want to talk about it, is I like putting all the information to a single picture. I'm not used to doing uh, multi-picture spreads. And um, anyway, so to make that transition was, yeah, I had to uh, uh, work it out in my mind how this, you know, lot again would work moving from a traditional to uh, something that I very unfamiliar. So uh, my, Zoe Winters, my, my collaborator, started showing me some stuff where she took a photograph of mine and put movement into it, taking me back to the moment when I actually took the picture. So uh, the, probably the most iconic photograph is, is the one of, uh, I call it Sea of Monks. And uh, it's well known. I have a, it's just maybe a hundred monks sitting in the snow and um, they're uh, before prayer, they're sitting around and, you know, that fidgety period where you are waiting for anything to happen. You know, they're looking around. I'm up on a hill looking down at them. I've got a long lens on. And the photographic process is when you are framing you're seeing uh, through the lens that these faces and, and uh, watching their body English. And I see the kid with a yellow scarf on and he's moving and changing expression. And there's a guy over on the left side who's kind of giving me the evil eye because he doesn't really want me to be up there taking a picture of him. And there's somebody else playing with the prayer beads. And so there's all this stuff happening and I'm up there going click. Oh yeah. You know, this kid, the, the kid's moving, he stands up click. And suddenly it was like a Eureka moment. It was like, okay, this is exactly what it was like when I was really taking the picture. So then I, there it was, I could, I could, through AI, take the viewer back to the moment where I clicked the shutter. And so we got uh, from what we got one uh, of the monks to move. And then we got all of them, not not all of them, maybe half a dozen or more to uh, move and do uh, have expression. And that is what I saw. And that is what now you can see with this NFT, which you would never be able to do before. Uh, there was another example with a window where there's slight movement, which is what I would be doing when I'm framing. And then I had opened this window and the dust flew out. And uh, so she was able to put in the dust and then the sun was coming up and she was uh, through multiple frames was able to show that uh, as the sun came up, I only had about uh, 
I don't know, 10 minutes of good light. And then once it's up, then, you know, it's all over, but it was coming up through the smoke of the uh, local villagers fires. And it was just this nice moment. And so through AI, I could recreate that. And it was like, okay, this is what uh, it was like when I took the picture. And that's what I tried to achieve with the first NFTs that we had out there was indeed to take the viewer back to the moment of creation. Well, wow, that is really, really creative. Like uh, that's something I haven't thought about too, because most NFTs I see, it's like digital art. Yeah. Um, but that is a really good point of view, like being able to capture that one moment where it's like, as you're doing your work, you know, that's actually, I feel like this is just as important as producing great photography. It's like, how do you do it? What is the technique? And I feel like, nowadays everything is trending towards how do you do it how do you done that you know how did you capture that moment because i feel like i'm pretty sure you notice this too but you know throughout history like things sort of repeat itself over and over you know before it's about beautiful photography and now it's about the experience and i think nft captures that really well and shout out to zoe winters as well like i i haven't personally met her in person but i met her in clubhouse oh. uh, she's definitely one of the persons that you should definitely know in the NFT world. And I'm glad you guys are working together. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's why I need a team. And, uh, uh, I actually, they cho chose me. I, it was, it wasn't like I just said, Oh yeah, well, I want to get into this and started working at it. I, I really need it. Uh, and I think anybody who's getting into it for the first time needs people who have that expertise, uh, who, who know the space and, and, and uh, know how to navigate through, uh, through the, you know, this, all this new jargon, just the vocabulary is daunting. And, uh, yeah, NFT people are different it's, and you do need to, uh, uh, get to know the community. It's not the same as, you know, this anonymous crowd that follows me on Instagram, which is, uh, you know, I'm very happy uh, and, and with Instagram because of the instant feedback and that in itself, it's been a, a great thing that, you know, shooting in for the magazine years ago, you, you have a 30, 40 page story and, and, you know, a couple of months after the story is published, you might get one or two letters that uh, of, of readers who ask questions about it, uh, about the story. And that's the only feedback you got. Now, every time I post a photograph, you know, I get this flood of of comments and, and I read every one. You know, it's just it's part of it is is the uh, interaction between uh, yourself and, and your your uh, your your base, your followers. So same thing with the NFT community. It's not that different. Absolutely. I, I definitely agree with what you said about, you know, interacting with your audience. And I love that you respond to each and every one of those comments, because that is really what makes the difference and, and reels people into look at your work again and again and again, because you're really building a community there. Um, and I think it's so beautiful how you mentioned that you know, you're able to capture that specific moment and have the viewer of the photograph see exactly what you were seeing at that exact moment. Um, I did see an, a video, a Sony video of you mentioning, you know, you can 
capture the eyes of the person who's in that photograph, right? And that is really what is the, the gateway to their soul. The eyes are the person's soul, right? I want to know more about your photographic process. Um, to someone maybe who's like an amateur photographer, what do you do to make sure that your photograph is extremely powerful? Because Brian and I, we've seen so many of your photographs and all of them are just so, so powerful. And you can definitely see the power and the strength of the, the person's eyes. Um, talk about your photographic process in that sense. Um, okay. Well, uh, well, that, you're talking about portraits or people. And of course, I, uh, good stories, a mixture of, of, of both uh, sense of place as well as uh, the people and, the, and illustrating the culture. And in my case, in most of my stories and um this is a funny, well, this is a business where you don't fail and you're, uh, because if you do, after somebody has uh, spent a lot of resources on you and you're out there and these stories are costly and, you know, you come, don't come back with the goods you're really in trouble. So yeah, I am working with a picture editor in, in the case of the geographic and they're, we're trading information and they're, uh, you know, pointing me in which direction and then uh, looking at the film in the old days or even digit well, digitally. Now we, we see everything uh, immediately, but you're, you're looking to make um, photographs that have impact. And I am looking for, you know, what makes a great photograph for any photograph, which is, good light and uh, an interesting moment, an interesting subject um, and colorful or uh, good composition. These are, these are stand, this is the standard. And uh, you know, I, obviously I need to have a photograph that somebody that relates to somebody and hopefully grabs them and brings some emotion. So you know, the way I look at it in the magazine is, uh, you know, it's a big, thick magazine and there's many stories uh, over 100 pages or and that when you look at it, you're flipping the page. Right. So you're flipping the pages and bango up comes this photograph that's visually arresting to the point where that person, that viewer stops. So you're page stopping them and they might study the photograph and read the caption. And the hope is that maybe after reading the caption that maybe they'll read the story. So that's the way I see my photographs as uh, page stoppers, something that grabs the viewer and holds them, makes them want to uh, read more watch and, and get more out of that photograph and make some emotional connection. So that's what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you, you have to have a lot of success and of course you're looking at photographs from a 40 year career. So uh, I'm not just putting up any photograph, but, uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of new stuff. It's not like they're all old photographs that have been, you know, tried and true and published before. Also when I'm in the field or, uh, anywhere I'm constantly taking photographs of new stuff. And, and that also comes up on the Instagram and 
yeah, you better hope your stuff is, is, is good. And people are taking notice and uh, you get there by studying a lot of great, photo- good photography and, and by practice. And uh, uh, you know, that's the way every photographer uh, learns and, and progresses and goes the, to the next level. Mm-hmm. This is the next question I really want to ask and really dive deep into your answer just now too. It's like, Whenever you're taking these pictures, right, you're looking at someone's eyes and you're looking at you know, the composition, the lighting, everything. Internally, how has that made you feel? And that, how has that made you grow as a person? Because when you're looking in through the eyes of so many people and their stories and experience and their hardships or successes, I'm pretty sure that has profound effects on how you view the world and how you view yourself. How does that make you feel? about yourself as you're learning more about how the world works and you're learning more about internally how you work because we personally feel by having so many guests on our podcast is that you can your business can out your business or creativity cannot outgrow you as a person so in order for you to achieve higher and higher level you have to continually take in what you learn and grow right yeah well you grow yeah well you grow with every story and uh you know as i say you become the expert on whatever it is you're working on uh my um how can i say this 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 is uh this you know a lot of the subjects that i shoot uh i can't communicate with because they're in you know where i work uh there, uh, you know, you need an interpreter. I don't speak uh, Tibetan or Chinese. Uh, my Japanese is pretty good, but uh, often you are sh- shooting subjects that you can't communicate with. You can't con- communicate with these people, but you are, you know, uh, experiencing living their lifestyle. And of course, uh, that is. Uh, affects you uh, and and is also one of the joys of the job is uh, you, you know, we, there was one guy used to always go on an assignment and he'd come back dressed somewhat in whatever the local, well, I don't go that far, but you get really involved. And from now, for example, now my uh, kind of my passion now has been uh, Tibet for the last uh, half a dozen years. I've been making many trips there and trying to uh, make pictures that of this very fast disappearing uh, culture. And hopefully, uh, well, I, you know, it's, it's similar things that are happening, uh, obviously in Xinjiang and, it, uh, it started much earlier in Tibet. And so um, I'm kind of in a race to uh, capture this, uh, the lifestyle and culture of, and the religion, religious practices of, of Tibetans. And so, yeah, I'm passionate about them. And uh, of many of my subjects, as I say, I can't communicate with them uh uh, directly because of the language barrier, but you know, you're, you're living out there, you're, you're living in the yurts and hanging out with these guys who are looking for the worm in the summertime with the, the magic worm, which uh, has changed their lifestyle. That's all another story. I don't want to 
No, we get off track. But anyway, there's there is a changing culture there over how they make their living. And mm-hmm. of course, they now have motorcycles and cars rather than, uh, you know, uh, camels or donkeys or whatever else they used to uh, travel with. And um horses ponies of course but anyway it's uh it's a privilege also to be uh in this position to spend major time Uh, you know when i go there it's it's not an easy place to get to and so when i'm there i'm spending a month or two at a time and totally immersing myself in in that culture and that's yeah, it's not like more of a one-to-one thing where I'm communicating. It's more of a, you know, I live their lifestyle for uh, a month or two of the year. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for sh- uh, sharing that with us. And that's such a powerful experience. Being able to have the privilege to see other people's culture through their eyes and communicate with them and actually speak the language, you know, it, yeah, we, I think, we all have that experience too. Like how do you communicate with someone who can't speak our language and you become more like connective where we try to find similarities in order to describe certain things. So I think that's a wonderful, like eventually, emotionally, physical, spiritually journey that you went through. Uh, so I guess as we're running close to time, one, I'm going to ask one or two questions left. The, the first question is, you know, as for our listeners who are getting to this industry or learning photography, how do you have any tips and advice on how they can improve their early adopter mindset? Because I feel like clearly you have a strong early adopter mindset, but it's very crucial for any business to succeed. What tips and advice do you have on fostering that mentality and seeking opportunities where other people can't see? Well, you, I think it's about passion. You really got to love what you're doing. I mean, it, to decide to be a photographer is difficult because the road to becoming successful is uh, very long and hard. And uh, it's, it's tough. It's a 1% or 1% of 1% job. It's not a job, it's a lifestyle. So it's your passion, your love for the, for, for the medium and for what you're doing, where you make a commitment and you eat, sleep, drink, photography uh, 24-7. And that's what it took for me. And if that's what it's going to take for anybody uh, just starting or anybody who's in the business now, I can guarantee you loves what they are doing. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it because there's not. it's not about the money. Uh, there can be, but uh, the rewards are different. And, you know, I, I think in in terms of, uh, you know, they had that um, kind of a chart or a, uh, every once in a while you see the world's most desirable and undesirable jobs. And I think photography is way down the list because, again, uh the chances of making it is, you know, I mean, there's a lot of photography schools and you come out and you have all these skills and that is not where it's, it doesn't matter. You know, every, everybody can have the skill, but it's the eye, it's the vision. And without that vision, you can translate to a bigger picture of, of, uh, of work or lifestyle or anything. You have to have a vision, especially in photography. And 
without that, you, you have to get above, you know, be able to rise above the pack. And you can see it, though. I, I was on a, uh, a clubhouse yesterday with uh, a, a young geographer, a young photographer, not, not necessarily just geographic, but uh, Dina Litovsky. And she is from the Ukraine. And wow, she had some great stuff. And the point is that when you see somebody who is really talented, it just pops out and you just say, wow, you know, this woman's got it. And um, that's what you need. You need that. Uh, it's never been easier to post pictures. So if you're, you know, Instagram is probably the best. And so you're going to start posting there and seeing again, reading what's how people react to those photographs. You can, you know, you don't have a picture editor hanging over your head telling you what or what not is you can post or what is good or what, what is not good. You can just see for yourself and see how people are, are reacting to your your art. So mm -hmm. it's it's a good opportunity, uh, better than ever before as far as showing your stuff. But it really has to be good and to rise above back. And, you know, it's a thought process, it's vision, you know, got to be thinking all the time. And, and as we were talking about in the beginning, I, I just didn't want to be left behind. Whatever that was new, I wanted to jump into just because uh, who knew what stock photography was back way back when. And, you know, I jumped in full both feet and, you know, paid off and who knows what NFTs is going to do, but Instagram jumped in, you know, both feet and same thing. You, you, uh, if people are starting to do it, then you better get into it. Cause uh, again, uh, you got to keep changing and, and uh, you, you have to keep reinventing yourself. So I absolutely agree. And you're right. It comes along with passion, not just passion. I want to add on more to that as well. It's obsession in some ways. Obsession. That's a good word. Yeah. No, I, I am obsessed. Still am. And that's what it takes. Yep. Yeah. It's not the wrong obsession, guys. I think obsession is a great thing. It just means they're always constantly thinking about your business and how to improve your craft and your style and your vision. Right. Right. You exactly. Know? And you're always, I mean, I'm, I, I look at pictures all the time and I, you know, I'm still studying pictures by different photographers and yeah, that's part of the game. Absolutely. Obsession can definitely be healthy as long as you're constantly growing and growing. Yeah. So Michael, how can our listeners find out more about you and your work online? Oh God. Well, I think Instagram is the place to go because uh, that's my go-to place. I'm, I'm not as active as you think on Facebook. I, I, I'm not a, I don't want to get very personal, but uh, I'm posting always on Instagram. So I've, whatever I'm working on. And of course now with the Afghanistan situation, I've been posting a lot of Afghan photo, Afghanistan photographs. And yeah, I try and stay current. So whatever's happening in the news, I try to have some sort of uh, uh, peg to uh, what I'm posting according to what's happening that day or that week or and uh, I also made a decision to, uh, rather than be non-political and non-commercial, I decided finally to use this platform of Instagram to 
push uh, various, uh, in, in the case of climate change, which has always been something uh, that I've, it comes with the territory being a geographic photographer. I've, I've been sporting um, a lot of my colleagues as well as uh, other uh, people who are working towards uh, uh, climate change and, and, or at least, uh, getting word out, um, when, uh, the, all the anti-Asian bias, uh, started happening a few, you know, months ago, I started posting about that. So I've become much more, uh, environmentally conscious as well as socially conscious and deciding to, uh, actually use that Instagram, um, the NFT thing, I must say, uh, I disclose that uh, I met a lot of the posts are, are not I am not even in control of my guys or my team is taking care of uh, uh, a lot of the uh, promotion and PR when it comes to the NFTs. But, yeah, you can get a good uh, gist of what I'm all about if you just follow Yamashita Photo at Yamashita Photo and, yeah. Uh, especially for an Asian group. That's what I, you know, that's what I do. And so I'm always posting and there's, yeah. And I take the caption writing very seriously. And I like to give uh, kind of a historical perspective and and not just throw it out a picture out there with a one liner. And Mm -hmm. I, I, in fact, I spend a lot of time with those captions trying to educate. So the ultimate uh, East-West connector, as I seem to always have been, publishing stories from the East and having um, uh, public sh- or shooting in the East and publishing stories in the West has been my thing. And of course, now I also have a big following in China and uh, my Silk Road uh, East meets West uh, exhibitions are going crazy over there. So I think I had 24 in the last two years. Wow. Yeah. I love that. I mean, thank you so much, Mike, for sharing your story with us. And thank you. Good questions. Your vision and everything you've done for the industry and for reputation and using your platform for social good as well. I mean, highly appreciate that. Mike, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. We, we appreciate you. Thank yeah. you so much, Mike. All right. Well, I think you're doing a great job too. It's, it's nice to be recognized. And anyway, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Mike. Catch you on the next one. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes. So be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday. So stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.